It's been a long time, Willow Creek family, and uh, you have no idea what an honor it is to come back here today and to serve with Dave and the Willow team across Chicagoland. And man, my soul has just been flooded with so many memories and so much emotion and so much gratitude uh, for so, so many of you. I get invited to speak a lot of different places, but nobody ever invites me back. And Willow invited me back. And uh, so thank you. And uh, big thanks uh, to Dave for this opportunity. I've known Dave for a number of years, and everywhere he has served, whether it was leading a youth ministry as a youth pastor in small town Kentucky, or planting a church in the suburbs of Detroit that grew into a huge multi-site church, God has used his life to do big things, and he's the real deal. And I want you to know, Willow, you are in good, good hands for your future. And uh, before we get too far, I'm going to ask you to help me give a great big Fourth of July welcome to all the Willow campuses across Chicagoland right now. On the other side of the camera in Crystal Lake and Huntley, Chicago, North Shore, Wheaton, South Lake, online. It's so cool, I just think, what you're all doing together and in unity together. Uh, There's a lot of you I know and love, but there's a whole lot of you that are new to Willow since uh, I served here over 13 years ago. There's some new campuses. And so I know the first question all you new people are wondering, so I'm just going to get it out of the way right now, is, Gene, is that your real voice? (laughs) Do you really sound that way? And, you know, I'd give an audio team a hundred bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White, you know, kind of, Jesus loves you, baby, something like that. But instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. So I apologize in advance uh, for that. In 2008, God led my wife Barbara and me to Eastside Christian Church in Orange County, California, which is the very same church that I began my ministry journey as a 20-year-old intern 41 years ago this summer. And it's just been one of the funnest, most joyful experiences of my life to lead that church, which had meant so much to my life, uh, into a new chapter. So we're in Anaheim, California, which is the home of the Ducks hockey team, Angels baseball team, and Mickey Mouse, and the most, I mean, happiest place on earth. And if you ever get out that way, I hope you'll come see us at Eastside. So today I want to talk to you about the power of our words, the power of our words. And I want to start with these two numbers. On average, we speak about 16,000 words per day. Some of you are skewing that upward, by the way, and you know who you are. But if you and I live to the age of 90... That means we will speak about 525,600,000 words in our lifetime. And that's a lot of opportunities to royally slip up and say the wrong thing. Now, the power of words actually makes me think of tattoos. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have at least one tattoo? I'm confident hands would go up all over at all the campuses. And I'm not against tattoos. Tattoos. A couple of my kids have tattoos. Uh, I think there's a lot of beautiful, meaningful, artistic tattoos out there. I just don't want to be poked by a needle, okay? 
But there are some people who have made like very impulsive decisions in tattoo parlors. And now they're desperate to get rid of them or to get them fixed. If you've ever watched any of the tattoo reality shows, you know this is true. Here's a few of my favorites. For instance, this one. (laughs) Wonder if this person has any regrets about getting this tattoo. (laughs) Or how about this next one? I don't know if this is a Martian from a galaxy far, far away, or if he's just in love with a girl named Marsha. Or how about this last one? Don't let the past make your decisions for today. Wonder if that person wishes they'd put a little more thought into that decision before they jumped into it. But sometimes people go into a tattoo parlor and they make an impulsive decision, a careless decision, and then they're stuck with it. And often, even if they go through the painful process of trying to have it removed, even though it's faded, the words are still there. And I want to use that as kind of a metaphor to help us understand the power of our words. Just because our words may not be tattooed on someone else's skin, that doesn't mean our words are not tattooed on their soul. We grew up saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And what we all found out was that's a lie. Words hurt. Words wound. Words linger. And they make an indelible, unerasable mark on our souls. I asked people on my Facebook page a while back, what's the most hurtful thing that anyone has ever said to you? And within hours, I had hundreds of responses. And they were so difficult to read, I could only read a few of them at a time. Some of the words that people I know and love had had tattooed on their souls was just devastating to me. For instance, one person wrote, I was 18 and my widowed father, after nine years of bitterness and verbal abuse, sat me down to tell me he was leaving and said, I don't want to know who you marry your kids, and I would rather die on the sidewalk than step foot into your house. Another said at the rehearsal dinner the night before my wedding, my mom drank too much and at the end of the evening said to me, I always liked your brother better. A mother wrote, upon hearing the horrific news that her daddy had not survived the car crash, my daughter turned to me and said, I wish it had been you. Friends, those are just three of hundreds of responses. And I'm telling you, every single one of them wrecked me. Our key verse today is Proverbs 18, 21, which says the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Words have the astonishing power to bless or to curse, to build up or to tear down, to encourage or to destroy, to bring life or to bring death. And each of us are the product of the words that have been spoken into our lives, that have been tattooed onto our souls. You're a product of the words spoken into your life. You're looking at a guy who is the sum total of the words spoken into his life. And I've been enormously blessed with life-giving words throughout my life. And I know that. I had amazing parents in my life who told me that they loved me and they believed in me. And even though I only had my dad for 14 years, I was 14 years old when he went to heaven, I know he was my biggest fan. 
My mother, who has been my biggest cheerleader in ministry forever, died last Sunday at the age of 98. And even until just a few weeks ago, she was watching our services online every weekend. And whenever I'd talk to her, she'd say things like, Honey, I know I said this the week before, but that sermon you preached last Sunday was the best sermon you have ever preached in your life. <laughs> and she'd say, You know, I really needed that message on sexual temptation. <laughs> Which was a little creepy, but... <laughs> but I'm just telling you, her prayers, her encouragement... Her words of affirmation have played a bigger role in my life, in my family and ministry than any of you will ever know. I grew up with children's ministry volunteers and and student ministry volunteers who believed in me and spoke life into me. God's really going to use your life, Gene. I think you could be a great pastor one day, Gene. Friends, I am so thankful for the people who have spoken words of life into me and saw the potential in me that I didn't see myself. And I know some of you are saying, but, but I never had that. That's not fair. And I'm just going to tell you, Jesus can heal that wound in your life. And if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded, I promise you, if you give Jesus a chance, by his stripes, you can be healed. It happens around Willow all the time. It asks, just ask people, people who engage in worship, who engage in pursuing God, who engage in small groups, who engage in spiritual practices. And I promise, if you'll sincerely engage in a faith journey with Jesus, there's wonderful healing on the other side. Now, I want to show you how deeply this principle that the tongue has the power of life and death is rooted in Scripture. When God creates the world all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, he doesn't pull out his Stanley tool set. He uses words as his tool of creation. In the third verse of the Bible, God took a situation that was formless and void. Darkness was covering the face of the earth. And he opened his mouth and God said, let there be light. And with his words, he creates the world. God uses words to bring light and life. God uses words to create and build up. When God speaks, the lights come on. But then just two chapters later, we read of a very different use of words. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He, the serpent, said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan uses words as well, and he uses words to destroy. He uses words to confuse. And here's what's interesting. The serpent's words were not even true. That's not what God said. But that didn't keep his words from having power, right? Many of you, you have words tattooed on your soul that are not even true. But they have so much power. With false words, the evil one tears down and destroys, brings darkness and death. And so from the very beginning, we see in the very beginning of the Bible, the words 
have the power of life in Genesis 1. They have the power of death in Genesis 3. God speaks and he creates and he builds and he blesses. The evil one speaks and he lies and he deceives and he destroys. The life and death power of words, it's hardwired into the universe. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, when John, an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, introduces Jesus, he doesn't refer to him as Jesus. He doesn't refer to him as the Messiah. He calls him, anybody remember, the Word. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In Genesis 1, God speaks light into the darkness. In John chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as the word that's coming to bring light into the darkness. And then throughout the ministry of Jesus, he constantly uses words to speak the kingdom of God into this world. He calms a raging storm with words, peace be still. He uses words to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. He uses words to raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't go into the tomb and like bop him on the forehead, but he uses words and he says, Lazarus, come out. Words are the tool that Jesus uses to bring life where there is death, to bring light to where there is darkness. And listen, we are made in the image of God. And our words are a much more powerful tool than most of us ever realize. They leave a permanent tattoo on the soul and have the remarkable power of life and death to build up or to tear down. Now, I want to get real practical because we need to be may, way more intentional about the words we speak. And, and I'm talking to myself as much as anybody right now. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25 that the right word at the right time is just like golden apples on a silver tray. The right word at the right time is just this beautiful gift you can give to someone else. So I want to share with you some words that bring life. Three types of communication that will be life-giving to every relationship you have. In your family, with your friends, with the people that you work with, your kids, in your marriage. Maybe you'll want to just jot these down. Here's the first one. Number one is affirmation. Another word for this is simply encouragement. Did you know that every word that comes out of your mouth either builds up or tears down someone? In fact, there are no neutral words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but notice this, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The only thing coming out of our mouths ought to be what's helpful for building others up. Tell people you work with what a great job they're doing and how well they handle certain situations. Tell your wife how much you love her and what she means to you. Tell your husband you're proud of him. You respect him. He's doing good. Up your texting game to your spouse, to your kids, your grandkids, and shoot them unexpected notes from time to time. Hey, just thinking about you. How's your day going? 
I'm so glad you're in my life. I started using a little app on my phone a while back called Marco Polo to just send silly little video notes and messages to my kids and words of love. Tell your kids, you're a young man of God. You're a rock. You're a woman of God next to your mother. You're the most beautiful girl in the world. I'm telling you, when you tattoo life-giving words like that into people's souls, it's amazing their power to build up and to encourage. And can I just say to all you change makers who volunteer and serve in Willow Next Gen Ministries, never, never underestimate the power of your words of affirmation on the souls of those kids who matter to God. Like if some of you are looking for an area to serve right now, I don't know of a church in the world that couldn't use more volunteers in the next-gen ministry. They don't need you to set up chairs. They don't need you to cut out crafts. They need you to do what my Sunday school teachers and my youth group volunteers did for me growing up. Grab those kids, look them in the eye, and start speaking words of affirmation into them. Add value to their lives. What if the next time like you're in a circle with a group of third grade girls or a group of eighth grade boys who are expressing some of the deepest feelings to you that maybe they've never told to anyone. What if you looked them in the eye and said, I believe in you and God's put greatness inside of you. You're going to do big things for God someday with your life. Next Gen Volunteers, I know I speak on behalf of Dave and all the campus pastors across Chicagoland when I say you are fully commissioned to speak life into the next gen of Willow in the name of Jesus so that when kids leave here, they live, leave with their chest puffed out knowing that God and their church believe in them. Amen? Well, you say, Gene, that all just sounds so lovey-dovey, ooey-gooey. How do you have the hard conversations? How do you talk about the difficult things without it bringing death to a relationship, without it bringing death to a person's soul? Here's number two. You speak the truth in love. The truth in love. You have to talk about what's wrong, what's broken. You have to talk about what's not working. You must talk about hurts and wounds in a relationship, in a family, and even in a church. You just don't say it in a way that intimidates or frightens or damages the other person. You don't throw things. You don't raise your voice. Think about the last family fight that you had with, it, with whoever it was. Maybe it was a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was several days ago. Maybe it was on the way to church today. Did you ever notice how easy it is to get into fights on the way to church? My wife Barbara and I solved that years ago. We come in separate cars. <laughs> but have you ever really changed somebody by raising your voice and intimidating them? I've talked to hundreds of couples and families over the years, and never one time have I had one of them say, Gene, when I just zinged that one-liner, when I called her that name, when I told him where he could put it, the problem just went away. <laughs> Has that ever worked for you? Of course not. 
This is why the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. It's just Christ-like. It's becoming more Christ-like. It's amazing what you can say and how it will be received when you speak the truth in love. So much of communication is just tone of voice. We used to have a little dog named Snickers, uh, a shih tzu. Can you say that in church? (laughs) He lived to be 19 years old. And it was a funny thing with Snickers. I could say anything to him as long as I said it with love. I could say, Snickers, you're the dumbest, ugliest, most worthless dog in the world. And he'd just smile and his tongue would flap and his tail would be wagging in the back. But if I said, Snickers... You're the best dog in the world. I love you. He would scowl and and he would jump back. A loving tone in your voice disarms some of the most volatile disagreements. It de-escalates the emotion. The Bible says in John 1 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And that's what we have to aspire to be like. I say what I believe, but I do it in such a way that you're not intimidated by it. Because I say it with love, truth with grace. You see, truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. So I I don't just say, oh, everything's okay, you're burning the house down, but daddy loves you. No. But when you have grace and truth, when you have love and truth, It's medicine to the soul. Here's a third life-giving word. We need to openly and verbally express affection. One time I was speaking in church on the power of loving words, and at the end of the service, I said, if you're sitting with someone today who means something to you, why don't you just turn to them and express some words right here, some loving words to them. Well, after the service, a friend of mine comes up to me in his 30s, big burly guy, kind of a Grizzly Adams type of guy. He's got these tears in his eyes, and he said, thank you. And I said, for what? He said, for what you did back there at the end of the service. And he had us turn to each other with words of love. He said, I was sitting next to my dad today, and for the first time in my life, I heard him say the words, son, I love you. Friends, those four words were powerful. Those four words were life-giving on his soul. Well, unexpectedly, just a few weeks later, his dad died very suddenly, and I conducted the funeral. And as we walked away from that freshly dug graveside that day, his son told me one more time that one of the most significant blessings his dad ever gave him was that day in church where he heard the four little words, Son, I love you. Words have the power to bring life, and it's so simple to bring life. You can practice this stuff on the way out of church today, over a meal, at the restaurant, during fireworks. Just start using life-giving words, and I'm telling you, you'll have the best week of your life, and you'll start to create the kind of world that you want to have. You know, from the moment Dave invited me to speak today, 
I started praying an eight-word prayer, and the prayer was, God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you want me to say? I prayed it over and over again. And I felt like God gave me some words, three phrases, which are some very sincere and personal words to the Willow family, past, present, and future. And I really do believe these came from God. Now, maybe it was the result of a bad pizza the night before. I don't know. You can be the judge of that. But these are some phrases that I'm praying God will tattoo on the soul of Willow today. The first phrase is one of affirmation, and it's simply, thank you. When Barbara and I came to Willow in 2003, it was a significant move for us. I had served as lead pastor of Central Church in Vegas for 18 years, and Barbara had been born and raised in Vegas, had never lived anywhere else. Our girls were going into second and fourth grade. Our son was a college student. And I just want to say thank you for welcoming us with open arms and loving us well. We made some of the best friends of our lives here, and they are still some of the best friends of our lives, and we're forever grateful. Thank you for growing my heart for global compassion. I had some of the most defining experiences of my life here as God opened my eyes through many of you to acute needs around the world that I had been blind to for far too long. And it wrecked me, and I've never been the same in a good way. On behalf of Barbara and me, I want to say thank you to the Next Generation Ministries and volunteers of this church for building into our kids at such formative years in their lives, especially to Promised Land and Elevate and Impact and Young Adult Ministries. My daughter, Elena, like when she was like this tall, became a promised land small group leader when she was in sixth grade because someone believed in her. Today she's 27 years old, a wife, a mother, a math teacher, a special needs advocate who is still leading small groups. Our daughter Jenna is 25 years old, married, leading a group of high school girls, also leading a couples group with her husband at their church in the Bay Area of California. Our oldest son, Jeremy, found meaningful connection playing basketball with a group of young adult guys at Willow. And he's the only one of us still in Chicago today. And he is thriving as a dad, as a husband, as a professional. And I could not be more proud of him. In fact, I brought along a little picture so you'd know what our family looks like these days. And and there's our gang. And... uh, All three of my kids love God. All three of my kids love the church, love each other, and they married spouses who do too. And I just want to say as sincerely and as personally as I can, thank you, thank you, thank you for the investment this church made in each of our kids. And uh, if you're new around here, I want you to know your kids are in a good, good place. Can we hear it for the next-gen volunteers and leaders in this church? Love you guys. But as I prayed, God, what do you want me to say? I also felt led to say two words that honestly are very hard to say. And it's the truth in love. And here they are. I'm sorry. During my years at Willow, I not only served as a teaching pastor and as lead pastor of the South Barrington campus, but also... 
I serve both as an elder and a member of the board of directors, which to my knowledge, I was the only staff member up to that point in Willow's history that outside of Bill served in those roles. The word elder, the term pastor, actually means shepherd. My job and the job of every elder and every pastor is to protect the sheep. Over the past several years, I've sat in the sadness like many of you. And I've been in a time of lament, wondering, what did I not see or discern? What did I not do? Where did I lack courage to properly address warning signs that could have better protected sheep who Jesus died for? While I was not aware of some of the sin that was happening behind the scenes, I did see warning lights that I attempted to address address with other elders who were serving at the time that I feared could lead to something scandalous someday. And I've asked myself a thousand times, did I do enough? Did I do enough to adequately protect the sheep? So today, I just want to say clearly and unequivocally, before God and before this church, to all who have been hurt, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't protect you better. To this church that I know for a fact is full of so many good, good people, past and present, I'm just so sorry for the painful vortex that you have been caught up in over the past few years. To staff members past and present, I'm sorry I couldn't and didn't do more to protect you from some of these storms that have caused so much turmoil in your lives and in your families. To young people, to the next generation, who had all kinds of increased spiritual doubts and have had their faith rocked by the revelations of recent years. I'm sorry. And I want you to know that while people are deeply flawed, including the guy standing right here today, God is good, and you can trust him. To the global church who looked to Willow as the standard, the gold standard of church leadership and who legitimately should have expected more. I'm sorry. And to former colleagues and courageous truth-tellers who didn't deserve the assaults on their reputations and motives, but who simply attempted to speak the truth in love. I'm sorry. And please hear me. Above all others, to some treasured women of God whose lives and reputations and souls have been so battered and bruised and wounded and hurt and broken. I'm sorry. I'm just so, so sorry. There's three more words that I felt God led me to say today. And they come from a very deep and sincere place. And it's simply, Willow, I love you. 
I sincerely and deeply love you. I hold you in high regard. I believe God has not only been doing a redemptive work in this church, but that he wants to do a lot more redemptive work through this church. And so if there's anything yet to do for the church to process what has occurred, I encourage you to step into that place with courage. You don't have to be afraid of it. You see, I'm genuinely optimistic about the future of the church of Jesus Christ and the future of this church specifically. And that doesn't have anything to do with who we are. That has everything to do with who God is. Sometimes people ask me, well, Gene, when you look around at the world today and and you, you see all the attacks by critics and cynics of Christianity and, 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 and of the church from those outside the church. And when you consider how many horrific scandals have occurred inside the church, do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever believe that we're losing the battle? That's a good question, and it's a fair question. But then I just look back, and I remember the day over 2,000 years ago when Jesus said... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice who's building the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And for 2,000 years, the gates of hell have not prevailed because the supernatural power of the message of Jesus has always transcended the human frailty of his messengers. Jesus' enemies thought they had defeated him when they crucified him on the cross. But the gates of hell did not prevail, and three days later he rose from the dead, and ever since he's been building his church. The first small group of 12 grew to 120, and then it exploded on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were baptized that day. But then it looked bleak. When in the year 38 AD, Stephen was stoned for following Jesus and the church scattered under the persecution. But then the most effective form of church planting that only God could have invented occurred and his church moved forward and Jesus built his church and the gates of hell did not prevail against it then. From 20. 250 to 261 A.D., the church experienced the decade of horror when thousands who claimed faith in Jesus were murdered, slaughtered, beheaded, crucified, thrown to wild animals, tortured because they dared to stand with and for the mission of Jesus. And they said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And the gates of hell did not prevail, and Jesus built his church. For 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has survived scandals and dark periods and embarrassing, tragic fiascos. But through it all, the gates of hell did not prevail, and Jesus built his church. And I'm telling you today, Chicagoland needs a Jesus-built church like never before in the city, on the North Shore, in Wheaton, in Crystal Lake, in Huntley, in South Lake, in Casa de Luz, in South Barrington, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. So we'll just keep Jesus, the word who brings light and life 
at the center of it all because there is nothing like the love of Jesus. So my prayer is that you will always be known as a church that is head over heels in love with Jesus, centered on Jesus. May you always be people who really grasp how high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. May you be people who love to worship him, give to him, Worship him, praise him, serve him, who refuse to quit and throw in the towel when the going gets tough because you genuinely love him and you are forever grateful to Jesus. Amen? Let's all bow our heads together. Jesus, we are forever grateful to you. The word who brings light and life to our lives. There truly is none like you. And may we be more mindful of the power of every single word that comes out of our mouths to bring life or death, to heal or destroy, to build up or tear down. God, I pray that through your mercy, you would bring healing to some hearts today that have just been demolished by people's words that are tattooed on their soul. And God, for all of us that have said words that, that we wish we could take back, we ask you to forgive us and through the blood of Jesus, just wash it away. And Lord, even though none of us deserve it, would you make room in the hearts of people we have hurt with our words? to forgive us as well. Lord, we ask you to help us this week to be more intentional with words of affirmation, words of affection, with speaking the truth in love. Even today as we leave this place, in our conversations, while we're walking to cars, catching trains, while we're grabbing a bite to eat afterwards. And God, I thank you so much for this church and the privilege to once again serve it today. I love this church so much. Keep your hand on Willow, on its pastor, on its people, and its future. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everybody said, amen. Love you, Willow. Thanks for the privilege to be here today.